chapter 4. This morning's message I have entitled, Drop the Blindfold. Drop the Blindfold. In our last study, we read regarding how Paul's commendation, you remember, was from the Lord and that his references for doing the work of the Lord were the fruits of his labor. That he had fruit coming from the work that he was doing for the Lord. Uh, We also I looked at how we might have all the reference letters lined up and a bunch of important people to endorse us, but our true commendation comes from the Lord. If we can stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I am doing what you've called me to do, and in a clear conscience before you, Lord, I am acting in obedience, then that is commendation in and of itself. Because it's the Lord that has taken us and our insufficiencies and has turned them into something amazing. You remember last week, verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul wrote and said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And we learn more about what Paul was referencing here as the letter, the law, that brings death and that it exposes our sin. We see that we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of God's righteous standards and the law which no one can be perfect in keeping shows us that we need a Savior. We need forgiveness of sin. And so Paul became a minister of the gospel, that which was of the Holy Spirit in bringing to life that which was dead. And you he made alive who were dead in their trespasses and in sin. Internal life to those that were separated from the Lord. On a crash course for spending eternity condemned for their actions. And so the Lord became Paul's sufficiency in the ministry of the gospel. Aren't you so glad today that the Lord is your sufficiency? Aren't you so relieved to understand that it's the Lord that makes you sufficient in whatever it is that you need to be doing. And so, this morning, point one, and we only have two today, point one is this, do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. In verse one it says, 2 Corinthians chapter four, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. In the ministry, let me just tell you from firsthand experience, it is very, very easy to lose heart. It's very easy. If you've been serving in some capacity in the church, you too understand how easy it is to lose heart. Because ministry is a spiritual work. And the enemy, Satan, loves to keep us relying on our physical to fulfill the spiritual. He wants to keep us in that emotional and physical state of relying upon what we can bring to the table physically and emotionally and mentally mentally, in order for us to do the spiritual work because he knows he has us exactly where he wants to have us. See, when we're involved in a spiritual work of the Lord, we must find our sufficiency from a supernatural source, specifically the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. 
Satan likes to keep us in the emotional or the physical realm because there he is more powerful than we are. You try to wrestle with the enemy in the emotional realm, you'll get your clock cleaned. You try to wrestle with the enemy and overcome in the physical, you will be destroyed. We start leaning on our own strength and basing our our decisions upon our emotions and then we're cooked. Listen to what Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 through 24 says. It says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then he says, the Lord is my portion, therefore I hope in him. It's because of the mercies of the Lord that we're not consumed. That's why Paul wrote, and he knew from firsthand experience, as many, uh, as many of you do as well, that you can say, I know that I'm insufficient in and of myself. My sufficiency comes from the Lord. And because Paul had this hope in the Lord, he didn't lose heart. And that couple of words, lose heart, in the Greek language, can be translated to be utterly spiritless, to be wearied out, to be exhausted exhausted you will only see ministers or those serving in the ministry become wearied out if they're not finding their regular spiritual refill in the lord See, you may be busy i may be busy about good things maybe we're writing books or speaking at conferences or teaching bible studies or serving in the children's ministry and the like but we will find ourselves suffering from what they call in the ministry Two, burnout. If we are hoping in ourselves to make it through it instead of putting our hope in the Lord, we'll burn out. We'll come to the end of ourselves. We'll say, I just can't do this anymore. I quit. Psalm 31, verse 24, the psalmist said, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. May I just say that to you today? Be of good courage. The Lord will strengthen you. He will strengthen you because your hope's in the Lord. Your hope's in yourself. Oh man, I got to turn this around. Oh, I got to be a better. No, listen, you are going to become despondent. You're going to come to the end of yourself. So be of good courage. If your hope is in the Lord, He's going to sustain you. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 4, he said, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. One of the things that can really wear us out in the ministry or in our spiritual battle is our private life. The things that happen behind closed doors. The things that nobody may see publicly. The hidden things in our lives that are sinful or evil. They're the things that if they were brought to the public would bring shame upon us. If people actually knew that we were like this privately, it would be shameful See, losing heart can also mean losing credibility where bad behavior becomes a hallmark of the Christian's character. This ought not to be so. But evil conduct is made possible when the heart is far from the Lord. We may be great at putting on a front, uh, having an appearance of righteousness, but we're denying the power of God working in us. And it's only a matter of time before the secret things of the heart make their way out of your life. Then your reputation becomes tarnished. And we have, you know, proverbially shot ourselves in the foot, or the spiritual foot for that matter. And that we've lost our credibility when preaching the gospel, 
when sharing with our unsafe friends or family. That's why it's so vitally important in our private lives and our public lives to line up with God's word. And to this end, Paul says in verse 2, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. He says we've renounced those hidden things of shame. We have repented from hidden sins. See, renouncing those things, repenting from those things, it will free you and empower you for the service that the Lord has called you to fulfill. I renounce those things that are against God in my private life. You might say, well, what are those things? I may not know what they are in your life. That's between you and the Lord. But when we renounce and repent from hidden sins, we find our hope restored in completing the tasks at hand. When I'm not in sin, I feel like I can do these things. See, when I give in to sin and I lose, you know, my battle with the flesh or whatever it might be, then my mind starts thinking differently. My desires to fulfill the work of the Lord start to diminish. I start to feel like I I, I just don't want to do this or I just can't do this or I'm done or whatever it may be. If we are in sin privately, nothing will set hopelessness into your life like unconfessed sin. You will find yourself discouraged. You will find yourself self-centered. You will find yourself vindictive. You will find yourself insufficient in and of yourself to fulfill the will of the Lord. Renounce the hidden things that are shameful. But not only that, Paul did not hide the gospel, nor was he a Christian incognito. You know, to my shame, I remember being in college and acting like a non-Christian when I was around people that were not Christians. A Christian incognito. And then somehow, I don't know how in the world this happened, this is one time I remember this as clear as day, that somebody randomly that I did not know asked me if I was a Christian. I'm like, what do you mean by that? I don't know. You know, I mean, you know what's happening there. The Lord the Lord exposing things in real time in your life that need to change. Paul was not hiding the gospel. He was not being a Christian incognito because there is also not just shame with unconfessed sin and private things in our life that need to be dealt with, but there's also shame when we're hiding the gospel of Christ. When we're hiding the very thing that needs to be shining as a light. See, next Paul states that they were not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Now, so that you're aware of this, a little behind the curtain kind of thing, there is a pitfall for ministers to fall into relying upon their own wisdom or own resources or intellect in attempts to make the Word of God more effective. We call it in the industry, if you will, uh, being more relevant. And maybe you've heard of it. The, you know, we need to make the gospel more relevant. We need to make God's Word more relevant. People just don't think this way anymore. These things that are in the Bible, they're outdated. We need to become, quote unquote, more relevant. See, craftiness here with the message of the gospel inevitably leads to deceitfulness. Did you know here where it says handling the word of God 
uh, deceitfully. It's the only time in the Greek language that this word is used in the whole Bible. In the whole Bible. Right here. Right here. Verse 2. Handling the word of God deceitfully. This word is translated to dilute or adulterate. To dilute, to water down the word of God or to adulterate it. Now, if I were to handle the word of God deceitfully, it would mean that I start removing what God's word says to fit my audience's interests. I start changing what God's word says in order to fit my audience's interests. This is actually deceiving people into believing something that it is not. It's deceptive, deceit, lying. I have a friend that we are estranged from because of things I'm sure you'll understand after I share this, that came out of the homosexual lifestyle. And he was walking with the Lord and he was serving the Lord. But he backslid and he fell head first back into that lifestyle again. And then he moved out of state and he found a church up in the Pacific Northwest that told him that being gay was approved by the Lord. That it was okay to live in that lifestyle. The pastor that told that to my friend and to the other people that are up there is a liar and a deceiver. See, pastors have been given a major platform to boldly proclaim the gospel but have watered it down. That is diluting it. They have mingled it with things that are contradictory to God's word. They have adulterated it in order to make it more appealing. That's what's happening in churches across our country today. Paul says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestations of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And let me just tell you right off the bat here, if you ever hear me tell you something that is not in God's word, leave this church. Don't attend here. If you ever go to a church that starts teaching you things that are contradictory to what God's Word says, you need to fly that coop. You need to get out of there as fast as you possibly can. Listen to what God's Word says. Study it for yourself. Next week, we're going to be taking the next half of chapter 4, verses 7 through 18 or so. Read it. Study it for yourself. Understand what it says. If you're visiting here today, and you're from out of the area, find a church that will teach you the Bible. Find a Bible-teaching church. Find somebody that will open God's Word and deliver it to you so that you know what God's Word says. This is very, very important. So Paul's message, it had integrity. And every person that heard Paul's message could testify to the fact that Paul practiced what he preached. The truth of the gospel was manifest in Paul's life and the lives that had received the gospel. When they saw people's lives changed, remember he said, you are our letter written upon the hearts of man. Your life is a living testimony. And just as a side note, by God's grace, I don't ever plan on teaching you something that's not in the Bible. In case you were wondering. Don't even get it in your mind. It's not coming out of my mouth. 
See, their commendation was from the Lord, and it was the very thing that would commend themselves to others. The very thing was they saw the work of God in their lives. And the same goes for you and for me. The same thing. See, regardless of your industry or family or friendship dynamics, the truth is the truth wherever you are. And that truth is living inside of every believer, every follower of Jesus, because Jesus is living inside every believer, and Jesus is the truth. Also, Paul's enemies, whether they chose to admit it or not, those that attacked Paul knew that Paul was right before the Lord. They might have despised him for being right with the Lord, as many righteous men and women have been hated because of their relationship with Jesus. But more importantly, most importantly, they were right in the sight of God. People may not like you because of your relationship with Jesus. They may even know that you're right and they don't like you because of what you stand for. And honestly, in my own experience, I have found that the people that have disliked me the most were the ones that were most convicted by what was happening in my life. They knew what I stood for. It got to the point where I didn't have to say anything anymore. They just already knew what Garrett was all about and they didn't like it because it convicted them of their sin because I had the truth living in me because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. See, God sees, God knows God judges. God always sees man. Man doesn't always see God. And if the devil has anything to say in the matter, he would choose to keep mankind blinded to the goodness of God. Blinded. To keep them in a place of darkness where they just can't see that there is a God in heaven that loves them. That sent His only Son to die on the cross for them. Satan wants to keep them blinded to the truth of who God is and His desire to know you. Because He loves you. And He created you for a purpose. That leads us to our second point this morning. And as I mentioned, we only have two today. Point number one was do not lose heart. Point number two is drop the blindfold. Look what it says in verse three. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Paul is not hiding the fact that they represent Jesus Christ, nor are they relying upon their own resources or sufficiency to carry out their ministry. They're not diluting the message of the gospel so that it loses its potency. They're not trying to appeal to their audience's sinful desires, but there is a reality in the spiritual realm that needs to be addressed today. So Vision City Church is going to hear what God's Word has to say. Satan blinds people to their need for forgiveness of sins. He blinds them. The gospel can be hidden to those that are ruined in sin. 
It can seem as foolishness to them. They think you're crazy. They think it's the most ridiculous thing they've ever heard. They think you're one of those Jesus freaks, one of those kooks, you know, one of those crazy people. It can seem as foolishness to them. But in reality, it's rather foolish what they're doing. It's like mocking the person that is telling you that you need to put on a parachute and jump because the plane is going down. We have lost power to all of our engines. We are nose diving. You need to put on this parachute and get out of this as fast as you possibly can. <laughs> they start laughing. That's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. What in the world even is a parachute? That's a pretty narrow view on life to tell me that I can't just land the way that I want to land. That I need a parachute in order to survive. Satan will spiritually blind people that choose to not believe in Jesus. You know, in our house, Ava in Harrison's room is on the side of the house where the sun comes up. And for a good part of the day, it is just cooking in there. And we live in an older home, you know, so we don't have energy-efficient windows, etc. So we got, you know, the original 1978 windows. And it cooks in there. And they're big. But we found these things some years back, and some of you may even use them at Home Depot, blackout blinds. You know those little ones that have adhesive tape on them, and you can cut to measure them, and you stick them up on the frame of the window, and it, and it blocks out the light. See, Blackout blinds are great on the sunny side of the house in the mornings. But you don't want to have blackout blinds on your spiritual eyes. Jesus said in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I once was blind. But now I see is such an incredible truth pertaining to those that have put their faith in Jesus. This is amazing. How many times have we, after coming to faith in Jesus, have we said to ourselves this very thing? You know what? I've never seen it like that before. I never saw it like that before. There's so many people in this world that have been blinded by the God of this age who we know to be Satan. I think about Hollywood. I think about the music industry and the arts for that matter, let alone science and sociology, whatever it may be. The God of this age has blinded. I mean, have you ever asked yourself, why is it so important for Satan to keep people blindfolded? Why? What is the big deal if there is a Bible club on campus? What is so wrong with having a Christian author speak at a university? How can a church be so bad for the community that it wants to plant in? That it's taking major fire. You wonder why? Here's why. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Why is it so important? Look again at the end of verse 4. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them.
Satan will attempt to keep people blinded lest the light of Jesus shine on them and they see. Because if the light of Christ is seen by man, they will have no other choice but to follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And see, people, they can be blinded by their own religion. They can be blinded by their past mistakes. They can even be blinded by their own morality. People can be blinded by popularity. People can be blinded by a church. And whatever it is that Satan can use to blindfold you to the light of the glory of Jesus Christ, he will use. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus told his disciples, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Satan is doing his absolute best to blindfold people, to shut down their mental discernment, to darken their minds so that they will die in their sins. And guys, there is no other way for me to put it. I'm sorry if that seems hardcore. I'm sorry if that that seems sensationalized. It is absolutely nothing but the entire truth of what God's word says, which is a reality every single day in the spiritual realm for all mankind, period. That's it lest the glory of Christ would shine upon them. By faith we're saved. That requires believing. Unbelief is the blindfold that Satan uses to blind people with. See, when you believe in Jesus, you drop the blindfold immediately. Listen to what Jesus began to read from the prophet prophet Isaiah. He was there in the temple and he opened the scrolls. And he began to read and listen to what it says. Luke 4.18 records it for us. Jesus reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and then listen to this, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those at liberty who are oppressed. Yes, and we read stories of it in the gospel where Jesus would literally, physically open the eyes of the blind, but he would also spiritually provide recovery of sight to the spiritually blind. To set at liberty those who are impressed, oppressed by sin. The light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ is radiating. It's that which Paul and others committed to, preaching the Word of God. And those others are even preaching it to this day. And he says now in verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Paul didn't preach himself, nor would any preacher of any value promote himself instead of Christ. I like to just share with you two things that I've always considered. Things that really spoke to me. And they're not long, they're very short. Two things. Do we preach myself or do I preach my Savior? Those two things. Am I promoting myself or promoting my Savior? See, a pastor will lead you past the point of himself to the Savior. That's what I love about our worship team. When they're up here leading worship, 
it's like they're transparent, like they're, they're leading you into the throne room of the Lord. They're not up there performing. They're not up here trying to, to impress you. They're up here worshiping the Lord and they're trying to set an example of what they like to see you look like as you're worshiping the Lord. Lifting up your voices, singing to them. They, they lead you to the throne room. The teaching pastor should lead you to the place where you're receiving from God's word past himself. When you're sharing with your friends, it's to lead them past you to your Savior. Paul saw the light of Christ literally on that road to Damascus. You remember it, that blinding light of Christ. You know what was so ironic, I guess you could say, about that scenario was the light of Christ blinded him to the objective of committing sin, which you remember he was going to arrest Christians and shut down the church and, you know, uh, he was involved with the, the first martyr in church history. So the light of Christ blinded him to the objective of committing sin, but it opened his eyes to the gospel. He might have been blinded by this physically, but his spiritual eyes became opened. <laughs> I find that awesome. The same one that commanded the light to shine in Paul's life is also the same God that said in the beginning, let there be light, and there was light. This is the God the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims. Now, it's important to note as we've studied this passage that the people that are blinded by Satan are not innocent in the matter. Oh, those poor victims, they just happen to be blinded by Satan. The more you sin... The more you reject the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, the tighter and darker that blindfold becomes. What's interesting when it comes to being blinded is that you cannot see light. It's all darkness. Jesus said in John 3, 19, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So mankind will sin because they love their sin. They love darkness. They'd actually rather be ignorant or bury their head or be blindfolded to the truth of it means that they can continue doing what they love to do, that which is evil. And we'll see that a lot today where people will say, you know what, I don't even care. You're probably right. You know, the Bible probably is true, but you know, I like doing what I want to do. And I guess I'll just end up in hell. It's so sad. Hey, this may be truth, but you know what? I would rather do what I'm doing. And, and you know, actually, I, I know that the Bible is true. That's why I don't want to hear it on my campus. That's why I don't want to hear it on the news. That's why I don't want to hear it coming out of church. That's why I don't want to hear it coming out of a Christian's mouth. Because if I hear that, and the Word of God, as we know, as Christians, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, it convicts people, and it makes them angry, because they know, whether it's through God-given conscience or God-given commandments, that what they're doing is wrong. And I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear people tell me. And that's why it is such a threat to have a conservative or a Christian come and speak at a secular university. That's why we have churches being resisted in finding church buildings or planting in new cities. That's why they try to shut down Christian clubs on high school campuses. It's because the Word of God is truth and people love darkness rather than light 
because their deeds are evil. The spiritual significance of this, I really think we can't comprehend. Satan has blinded people to the gospel lest the light of Jesus shine on them. So you try to put the light out wherever it may be shining. Get Christians to compromise their walk with the Lord. Get pastors to handle the word of God deceitfully. Yet in spite of man's love for darkness, God sent his only son to the world. Again, the same God that said in the beginning of creation, when the earth was void, when there was nothing but darkness, he said, let there be light, and there was light. For it is God, look at verse 6, who commanded light to shine out of darkness. And it's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of Christ shining in your heart gives out the knowledge of Jesus as a light shining in the darkness. Back in chapter 2, you might remember me saying this a couple weeks ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul wrote and said, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And I talked about how fragrances are nice. Many of us today probably wearing some sort of fragrance. We even joked about how we may have put on too much, uh, whatever it may be. But Paul used the analogy of a sweet-smelling fragrance to describe, in his words, the diffusion of the knowledge of God in the world. That there is something so refreshing about the truth of God's Word. The promises of God, man, they're sweet. They pertain to you and to me. The promises of God are, 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 are something we enjoy. Man, I'm so thankful for this. It's also like the smelling salt where it's like, whoa, whoa, I had no idea. And that's what God's word says. And as you grow in your knowledge of the Lord, the sweeter your life becomes, the purer your heart, the clearer your mind becomes. You're washed, you're renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit working through God's word. What a sweet thing it is when we become consumed with the love of Christ and the knowledge of who he is. It really goes forth like a sweet fragrance amidst the stench of sin and a light in the darkness of depravity. That's what it's about. That's what it's all about. The Word of God, diffused as a fragrance, the Word of God, as a light in the darkness. Guys, Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 5, 16, He said, you are the light of the world. Actually, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We need to let our, sh- uh, our light shine. The truth of God that you have is powerful. 
Don't hide it. Don't peddle it. Don't be a Christian incognito. Don't handle it deceitfully. Don't dilute it. Don't adulterate it. Hold fast to it. And you will see the Lord work in ways that you could not ever imagine. May that be our reputation. May that be what we're known for, that we have the love of Christ and the knowledge of God, shining as a light and being diffused as a fragrance because our world needs it. I even think that they know they need it, but Satan has blindfolded them to the truth. They've been blinded. Where they're looking to any other religion, any other spiritual experience than Jesus Christ. Because Satan, the God of this age, has blinded them. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, lest the glorious light of the gospel and the image of Jesus should shine on them, shine on their hearts, expose them to the Lord, expose their sin. If you have friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors that you know personally that don't know Jesus, be committed to praying for them. You cannot cause light to shine in their hearts. Only Jesus can. But you can be loving. You can communicate the truth. And you can be a sweet fragrance in their life when the world is going down and down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, today I ask God that you would please help those friends, family members, neighbors, acquaintances that we know, Lord, that don't know you personally as their Lord and Savior. We ask that they would come to know you. We pray for those, Lord, that we've had serious conversations with where we've wrestled through difficult topics. We just pray, God, that it would be you that shines in their heart even right now, this very moment. Wherever they're at, whatever they're doing, convict them, draw them to you. May they see their need for a Savior and may they find their hope in Jesus. We pray for them, Lord. You know them by name. You created them to know you personally. And Lord, I pray that this church, Father, would be founded on your word. I pray, Lord, that we would have a reputation, Lord, not only of just being loving and kind with people, but be a church that is built upon your word. And not just the church, Lord, but the people which really are the church. The people, Lord, would have a love for your word. They would study it themselves and that they would be able to stand on their own two feet spiritually. And so, Lord, would you continue to increase our knowledge of your word? Continue, Lord, to give us a heart for the lost. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to add to your church daily those that are being saved. And so, Lord, we ask, God, that you would be with us this day. Go before us, prepare our way. And, Lord, may we be bold in these last days. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.